And remember, like if you look all through the pages of Scripture, God does not choose the eloquent. He doesn't choose the expected and the overqualified. He chooses the humble, the lowly, the unusual suspects. So as some of you know, my wife is an English professor and, you know, she'll tell me a little bit about plagiarism and things, you know, that go on on college campuses and things that, you know, can't happen. But I came across this article that I thought she would be interested in. So they did a study and show that actually other species plagiarize, you know, when they give them different tasks or things to do, they will steal information or the way in which other people did. They'll plagiarize. But the only species that doesn't plagiarize are dogs. Did you know that? Dogs never plagiarize because they want to chase their own tails. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 147. If this is your first time joining us, I hope you enjoyed that dad joke and it brought you joy. Uh, and if it's your first time, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. If you've never done that before, please do that. I would really appreciate it. And the best way you can share this podcast with others is by word of mouth, by inviting them. If you do so on social media, please make sure you tag us at Mana Food for Thought, all spelled out on Instagram. You can find all of our social media information, contact us, all of our content on manafoodforthought.com, all spelled out. And while you're there, you can click on the Patreon tab and become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month. So thank you for all of you who do that. So appreciated. Thank you for listening and coming back. It's good to be with you again. I'm recording this in advance because of an event I have going on uh, the week this comes out. So uh, this Joy Junk and Jesus is going to be a little preliminary, but we'll get into it anyway. So my joy uh, is that... Um, so our Bible study that we have at St. Timothy's, as you probably know if you listen to this podcast, we record, we release the video on YouTube that night for our parish and for anyone else to watch. And we have a few hundred people who watch that. And then I release the audio here on the podcast in the middle of the week so people can get the fullness of the readings who are listeners here on the podcast as well. And between the you know few hundred we have on, on um, YouTube, and I think we're up to between twelve and 13,000 listeners or subscribers uh, on this podcast. I don't know how many listen to that particular, uh, those particular episodes, but that's um, <clears throat> a lot of other people who, you know, are at, at the Bible study digitally or, you know, after the fact. And then we usually have anywhere from 25 to 50 people in person. So a um, lot of different people. But anyway, um, I keep running into people who um, watch the Bible study or listen to it and are just very complimentary of it. And so it's just been bringing me a lot of joy. And, and that always just helps me feel like like I'm where God wants me to be. You know, when I'm using my gifts well, it's obviously not for my own glory. It's for the Lord's glory. People see value in it, not because they think that I'm very talented or that I, you know, have these gifts and they're getting closer to me. No, they think it's valuable because it's helping them grow in their faith and their relationship with God. At least I hope so. So, um, yeah, so it's been great having those uh, people come up to me. So if you ever if you ever see me, if I don't know you, uh, or you ever want to reach out and let us know how this podcast, the Bible study, the blog that we do on our website um, has affected you, we always love to hear that. So there's comments available on every page, on every page of content, uh, every single post, every single blog, every single podcast on the website. Um, and you can just email us directly as well. So uh, manafoodforthought at gmail.com. Haven't said that in a while. So uh, that's my joy. My junk is our microwave has been broken for like two months and it got semi fixed. I think I told you, but it still shuts off randomly when there's like too much liquid 
in the microwave, if you're heating up like coffee or trying to, you know, heat something up in a little bit of water, it just shuts off. So finally, we're getting someone out this week, you know, as you're listening to this, it'll hopefully be done and and this will finally be over. But um, yeah, dealing with the home warranty people, not my favorite thing. Uh, another junky thing is that I'm having to do a bunch of work ahead of time, uh, but for good reason, but that always kind of stresses me out the week prior of the things that I have to do that conflict and are, are usually very exciting and, and, and great. And then the last junky thing is that we might be, uh, well, it's not junk, it's exciting, but we might be moving somewhere locally, not moving away anywhere. Don't worry. Um, but the whole process is starting that whole process again and looking and, think about the market and, you know, we're looking to go in with a bigger property, um, with my in-laws. And so there's just so many moving parts. And so, um, excited if the Lord wants that for us, I know that he'll present opportunities for us to see like very clearly, Hey, this is what I want from you, uh, what I want for you, but all the paperwork and meetings and numbers just so life sucking. So, um, I know it has to get done. So yeah. Um, my Jesus moment, uh, and what I assume will be a Jesus moment is I'm not recording this on the normal day that I would, because we have a staff day of prayer, um, that all of us on staff are going to be at together. Every single one of us can be there. And so it's going to be, I know it's going to be really fruitful to spend time in prayer. We're going to be on the beach in a really uh, nice big house together, um, that someone is allowing us to use. And just get time and fellowship and prayer is going to be really great. So pray for us as you hear this, because prayer is not bound by time. God is not bound by time. And so I know those prayers will bear fruit for us, even if that event has already happened when you hear this. So uh, let's get into our second reading for this upcoming Sunday. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. As I said last time, Paul is writing to this community. He, uh, He visits Corinth in Acts of the Apostles in Acts 18. Um, and spends a great deal of time there, I think at least a year, um, living with them and preaching to them, uh, doing his a trade as a tent maker, and then preaching the gospel. So this is a group of people in a community that he really knows and loves and that he's helped found, and he's writing to them after the fact due to different issues that have come up because Corinth is a huge uh, center of trade, language, religion, uh, and a, lot, a big center for immoral um, and... Um, inappropriate sexual practices, especially when it comes to pagan idol worship. So uh, he's dealing with this church community forming in this melting pot of people with different backgrounds and trying to help them all coexist and uh, learn what it means to live the Christian life. So this is what uh, Paul writes to them in his first letter to them, 1 Corinthians 2, first five verses, the second reading for this Sunday. Here's what you'll hear. He tells them, When I came to you, brothers and sisters— Proclaiming the mystery of God, I did not come with sublimity of words or of wisdom. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my message and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, what I love about this reading is that Paul is giving you an insight into his own mind here and, and giving you a window into the fact that he, he kind of failed 
in his ministry in one respect. And so there's this account of, of Paul in Acts 17. And in Acts 17, Paul goes to Athens. And when he's in Athens, he uh, you can read about this in Acts 17, verses 16 to 34. He goes there and um, he sees all these idols and everything everywhere. So he goes in the synagogue and he debates with the Jews and the worshipers there. And he goes in the public square and he starts debating with people. And there's a lot of philosophers in Athens, um, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and they start talking to him. And they're like, what's this guy trying to say? They call him a scavenger. Uh, He sounds like he's promoting foreign gods um, because he's talking about Jesus, you know, and resurrection. These are foreign concepts for them. So they take him to this place called the Areopagus, which is this big um, kind of auditorium, a place where they would hear kind of public lectures or discourses or things like that. And they say, like, we want to learn what this new teaching is that you're talking because uh, what you're saying sounds very strange, but we want to know what what it means. So all these people go um, and, and they listen to Paul. And so Paul, he stands up in the Areopagus and he says... Um, I can see that you guys are very religious. I walked around looking at all your shrines. You even have one named to an unknown God, uh, you know, just in case there's a God you don't know. But I'm telling you, like the God who made everything, the Lord of heaven and earth, uh, he is that God. And he, and then he goes into this whole discourse about like who this God is and he is not served by human hands. He doesn't need anything. He gives life and breath to everything. And he kind of goes into this philosophical discourse about the nature of God. And he's trying to kind of, you know, speak up to where these intellectuals are coming from. He even quotes, you know, uh, uh, well-known lines of poetry. Um, you know, he, he's trying to be, you know, very clever. Um, and then at the end of his discourse... He's basically like, you know, starts talking. He mentions very briefly that God the God will one day come to judge the world with justice and will raise the dead. And they hear about resurrection and they're like, oh my gosh, like, what is this guy talking about? And so they say like, okay, we'll, we'll hear you another time. And so Paul leaves and he's like, and, and very few people join him and become believers. Um, you know, there, there's basically two people who are named and maybe a few others. So he, he gets a handful of believers. And in this huge city with all this interest and audience around what he's trying to say and people trying to understand him, he then, uh, it says immediately after that in Acts chapter 18, verse one, after this, he left Athens and he went to Corinth. Okay. So that's the community that he came from. That's the context he comes to Corinth in. And so when he's writing this first letter and he says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, he's talking about this moment when he like epically failed in Athens and tried to like have this very complex, very intellectual. I mean, he was very well educated. He knew what he was talking about. It's not like he was grasping at straws, but he gives this whole discourse and it just kind of falls flat. And what I love is that he learns from this and he tells them, I didn't come to Corinth with all these sublime words of wisdom. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. He's admitting here that he made a mistake, probably having doubt, doesn't not, not sure if he knows what he's doing or he's equipped to do what he's been called to do. But he reorients his mission and his focus to be solely on Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead. 
that it would be a demonstration of spirit and power so that people's faith wouldn't rest on him and his eloquent speech and his wisdom, but it would be on the power of God. And I love this. And as you hear this proclaimed this weekend, as you reflect on it, I hope you will hear this too, that oftentimes we overcomplicate what God wants from us. We overcomplicate the gospel. We overcomplicate these situations where we're being called to evangelize or to witness to someone or to change our life or whatever it is. And this is just a, a radical example from someone who is a saint in the church, like a, a, an apostle. He ends up taking on the, the title of apostle, even though he's not one of the 12, has this huge significant role as a saint in the Catholic church, is willing to admit when he got it wrong and see that as an example for us to recognize we sometimes just need to keep it simple. And remember, like, if you look all through the pages of Scripture, God does not choose the eloquent. He doesn't choose the expected and the overqualified. He chooses the humble, the lowly, the unusual suspects. Remember, Paul was a murderous persecutor of Christians before he comes. And yes, he comes to his conversion with all of this intellectual training, but he's still an outcast. And he, in this moment, is being reminded of the humility that he needs and the core of the message he needs to proclaim if he's going to be effective. But look at all the apostles, you know, fishermen, you know, people who had different trades, people who were not the best of the best, who weren't already studying with other rabbis. You think about a lot of the saints in church tradition, all the people in the Old Testament, you know, so many people who were barren and seen as sinners or that God wasn't blessing, like Abraham and Sarah, um, Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, people who are younger, like the younger siblings instead of the firstborn, having the one being the ones who are blessed. People like David, the youngest of his brothers, Moses, the younger, who had a stutter or some kind of speech impediment. He's the one who is called to lead. All these unusual suspects. They are the ones who are called. They are the ones who are being called now. And so it doesn't mean if you have a lot of training and a lot of knowledge that God's not calling you, but it's a recognition like we need to come before God, focus completely on the core of the mission and not overcomplicate it. Rely completely on him and his providence and trust that this simple but profound truth of the gospel will transform lives. And we don't need to color and gussy it up. We don't need to add all these bells and whistles to it. We just need to proclaim it with truth and with love to people in the context of a relationship that we've built with them and invite them to experience it for themselves. And I think the problem we have in the church and in our lives is we have a modern-day Pharisee problem. You know, we have a lot of people who are trying to get more and more eloquent and qualified to do this work of ministry. And we may even gravitate toward those people in our own personal faith circles or even in our churches. You know, we find the people who's been around the longest, who knows the most, you know, who knows how these things are done. And we get them and it's the same 20% of people who do 80% of the work and everyone complains about it. But that's because they're very entrenched in the way they want to do things. And they're not bothering delegating or training new people or inviting people who are the unusual suspects to get involved. They think they're the only ones who know how to do this right. The same thing is true in our practice of faith. We're not going to think of reaching out to the very unlikely person or going in un, uh, unlikely places to find the Lord. We're going to stay comfortable in our own circle of friends, in our own circle of influence, in our own ministry, our own parishes, and not go into the uncomfortable places. Pope Francis has constantly been calling us to go to the margins. And that just doesn't mean in society. It means to the margins of our own comfort zones. It means to those people who might be difficult for us to deal with 
or who might cause a strain or who might be those people like, oh, I don't know if I want them at my family gathering, mingling with everyone else. They might not say the right thing. They might be misunderstood. They don't have the same level of faith. They might get embarrassed, this or that. Like, But are we willing to invite them and allow God to do the work? And not just blindly invite them, but invite them with this presentation of the gospel message. Who are those unusual suspects in your life, in your community? How might they bless you and others? Because once upon a time, you were an unusual suspect. And because someone invited you, God has brought abundant blessing to you and through you to others. You don't need to have all the answers. That's the comforting thing about this passage. We can keep it simple. What we need to know is the central message, what Paul gets back to, proclaiming Jesus Christ crucified. That's what we call the kerygma or the gospel message, the good news. And paired with that, we need to know how it's changed us. We need to know the story of our own conversion, what's called our testimony or witness. How do you do that? Well, you learn just the basic gospel message. And you could simply memorize something like John 3.16. The gospel message is that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that we might not perish, but we might have eternal life. Like, that's it. God created us. He loves us. And even though sin entered, he didn't want sin to separate us from him. And so he sent his only son to die for us so that we might have eternal life. And when his son was here, he started a church and entrusted the church with sacraments and ways to get to know him. And we are blessed to be part of that church today. It's that simple. You can use the words that I believe is Father John Ricardo in the ministry that he has, Acts 29, and uh, the book that he wrote, uh, I think it's called The uh, Rescued, and he has a whole uh, new video-based program called The Rescue Project, which is all about the gospel message, and you can get it for free uh, on their Acts 29 app. If you just look up Acts XXIX, because that's 29 in Roman numerals, or uh, The Rescue Project, you'll probably uh, find it on, on the App Store for free. I think definitely for the Apple store. I don't know about the Google, whatever Android people use. Um, yeah, I don't know where you get your apps. Stater Brothers, who knows? But um, <laughs> on there is a whole video program. But basically, he organizes the gospel message under four words. Created, captured, rescued, respond. We're created captured, rescued, respond. We're created by God out of love for perfect love. We were captured by sin and under its captivity, sin leads to death and to destruction. However, God did not want that for us. So he rescued us by coming and becoming one of us and taking the punishment and the weight of that sin onto himself, which is something we could not do on our own. And so we are invited to respond, to give our life to that, to receive that free gift of salvation and to live our life in response to him so that others will also know that message. Created, captured, rescued, respond. So in the Rescue Project, he talks about four basic questions like, uh, um, how do we know that God is real? Um, if God is real, why is there so much suffering in the world? So that's uh, suffering and evil in the world. So that's created, God is real, captured, why is there so much evil? What, if anything, has God done about it? That's rescued. And how might I respond? And obviously that's respond. So he answers these four questions in a series of, I think, like eight to ten videos. Um, and it's a program that you can do on your own at a parish with other people. It's really, really beautiful. But that, I think, if we can really memorize that, if we can focus in on that, if we can be able to articulate that very simply in a 30-second elevator speech, like I've iterated to you in three or four different ways on this podcast, uh, and 
have a message as to this is how it's changed me. Uh, I like the framework of the chosen that I've mentioned before, where Mary Magdalene says in, in one episode, um, I was one way and now I'm completely different. And what happened in the middle was him. That's how you can phrase a testimony. I used to be like this. Now I'm this way. And what happened in the middle was this encounter I had with Jesus. Let me tell you about it. And I invite you to come to my parish, to this upcoming event, to this Bible study, to my home, whatever it is, uh, to do this program with me, to have a conversation, to talk to my priest, to come to this ministry, so that hopefully you will have a similar uh, transformative encounter. It's up to you. It's your own free will. Your openness will dictate you know, what happens, but I'm inviting you to do that. I think if we just can zero in on that simple message like Paul had to do when he went from Athens to Corinth, to know nothing while he was with them except Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead, that he's, that that's the simple gospel message coming to others in weakness, not lofty with our words and our intelligence, but just coming to them as humble people who know that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that we want other sinners to know that there is a Savior so that we can pursue him together and then talk about how that knowledge has changed us. The charisma, the gospel message, and testimony. So you can think about this as an equation. Evangelization equals charisma plus testimony. E equals K plus T. If you want to evangelize, know the, know the charisma and be able to share it very briefly and simply. And know your testimony. Show how that good news has changed your own life. Because people can't refute your own story. You know, they might have questions and doubt the validity of it or whether you really had a supernatural experience or not. But still, the more and more they hear that from you and from other people, from other like-minded Christians, the more and more they might realize, wow, there might be something to this. Especially if they're able to understand that good news or even go through some kind of program or process or a longer conversation to really show how it is true. Okay, but at least proclaiming that and sharing that, that's what Paul got back to. That's what he he overcomplicated himself out of in Athens and why he was less successful uh, or potentially a reason why he was less successful and why he had such success in Corinth, uh, a beloved community that he wrote several letters to, uh, even more than we have in Scripture. We have reference to at least two other letters, um, a community that Peter ends up uh, visiting as well. Uh, so a very substantial place in the early church, all because he just proclaimed the simple message of Christ crucified of Jesus coming to save us. And if we can do that, if we can do that well, that will be enough. That will be enough. So whether it's evangelizing or whether you just need this reminder to just keep it simple, you know, if there's a problem in your life, something that you're facing, you know, just ask the question like, what would it look like if this were easy? What would it look like if, if this was simple? I need just such like profound healing because of this thing happened in my life and I'm really distrustful of God and the church and I don't really know what to do. Go to confession. Talk to somebody. Go to therapy. Like what would it look like if it was just simple? If you could just fix it right now and do something about it. Oh, I have this neighbor and I really don't know how to t tell them about the gospel or this or that. Like I really don't know. Invite them over for dinner and just share why you go to church. Like when in your conversation, oh, I was at mass this weekend and I really love going and we started going so and so. It'll it'll come up naturally when people are like, hey, what have you been up to? You know, don't forget the fact that you're a Christian and you have Christian things on your calendar that you do. Share that <laughs> when you're updating them as to what's been going on and what you've been up to. It, it's amazing to me how many times it can naturally come up in conversation, but we just don't let it. And then we make it very complicated. And we think we have to have all these answers to all these questions. And, you know, the simple thing would be just start. And if they ask a question, just say, you know what, I don't know, but I'm going to find, find out and I'm going to get back to you. And you'll learn more. And they'll appreciate the fact that you're not just trying to make something up on the spot.
you know, and maybe if they're open to it, maybe you can look it up and learn it together or go through some kind of process together where you're not the person who's teaching, but you are collectively learning something together. And so I just invite you to consider all of that. Consider the things in your life that the Lord might be calling you to do. What would it look like if it were easy? How do you keep it simple? Proclaim the gospel and know and share your testimony. How do you know those things well? Polish them, share them frequently. And in other aspects of your life, you know, how can you simplify and get back to the core of what really matters? Does this matter in terms of your salvation and eternal life? How can you follow Jesus more faithfully in these problems or these decisions you have to make? And what's it going to take to just get some traction in this area and, and move and act by just doing something simple? That's all I have for you this week. Pray for me as I continue to pray for you. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless.